Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Hey, this is Alex Fernandez from Oakland. And you're listening to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. Today, a guaranteed income pilot project for artists officially started in San Francisco. It's a pot of money that's meant to help those who've struggled during the pandemic. The arts community really likes the idea, but some are unhappy with how this program has been run so far. Particularly folks of color were brought in after the fact, um, but it's already done by the time we hear about it. Today, the bumpy rollout of San Francisco's Guaranteed Income Pilot for Artists. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to The Bay. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. San Francisco, no matter how hard it is to live in, has one of the deepest and most diverse artistic communities in the the nation. Chloe Veltman is an arts and culture reporter for KQED. And they contribute in really important ways to the fabric and the quality of the city and what makes it special, right? COVID came along and with the, just the closure of, of so many venues, such a heavy reliance on visitors and packed events, a lot of people basically lost their livelihoods. So at the top of the pandemic, I was um, like before March or whatever, I was in this immersive like 1890s themed um, show. 
you know, one of the artists I met, Diego Gomez, they live in the Tenderloin and they said that, you know, things have been tough for a long time. The most money they ever made was $40,000 a year, mm-hmm. which is, you know, when you consider the low income threshold in San Francisco is 80000 Right, jeez. Or, or eight, r- roughly, just over. That is very, very low. So um, when the pandemic hit and they lost uh, their teaching work, a lot of it, uh, their, their live performance work as a drag artist, and were sort of surviving on things uh, they, they could sell through an Etsy store from their graphic design work and such. It was really, really tough. And that's why Diego applied for this um, guaranteed income pilot that we're talking about today. So I finally thought, okay, with my school gig, the Etsy gig, the freelance gigs and the YBCA thing, maybe I could start to somehow get, you know, somewhere uh, economically. The Guaranteed Income Pilot Project, as it's called, is this very small taxpayer-funded project in San Francisco, kind of pioneering because there are very few in the country that focus specifically on artists, as this this one does. And it's sort of a universal basic income-like project um, uh, in that it puts, in this case, $1,000 a month for a total of six months into the pockets of... 130 artists in this case who suffered, you know, tremendous losses in the pandemic and, you know, who live and work and make work rooted in the city's most vulnerable communities. The money to pay for the guaranteed income pilot comes from the Arts Impact Endowment, which is a pot of money that is specifically earmarked by the city. It comes from taxpayer dollars uh, from the hotel tax fund, and it's supposed to go to meet the needs of of underserved communities in San Francisco. It is supposed to have an equity focus. So based on the people in the arts community who you spoke with, do they think that this is a a good idea? Is this a popular idea with them? Well, 2,500 people applied for this, which shows there is quite a bit of popularity um, and a lot of need, clearly. Now, I should start by saying that the output data that has been shared with me so far shows that almost all, 95% of the people who won these grants, these 130 guaranteed income pilot grants, do fit into at least one of some of the target groups that the uh, city of San Francisco was trying to reach with this money. But there is a certain amount of criticism and disgruntlement about the process by which we got here. So the lack of trust in this particular process goes back to the very, very start. Its roots, where it came from, are very murky. None of the arts leaders from the different communities have any idea who came up with it, how it really started. And then when the city did decide that that, that they wanted to launch this program, the, the community groups say they weren't involved at that stage in helping to kind of shape it, which is a bit of a problem when you consider that the money's specifically earmarked to go to uh, these different marginalised, underserved communities in San Francisco. The city decided not to run the programme itself um, and instead to put out a call for proposals to essentially find a third party to administer the grant on the city's 
behalf. And this is where things get even more troubling um, for the folks from the community arts and culture groups that I spoke to. When most of us looked at the grant, we thought, oh, this isn't made for our type of organization. Tiki Baudreau, who's the managing director of the Queer Women of Colour Media Arts Project, says that, that the process was very much flawed from the start. Within arts organizations and how we understand funding for like arts and nonprofits, we always think bigger means better. Now, it's a big grant, $870,000 to run this pilot. And it ended up going to a big white-led organization, Yerba Buena Center for the Arts, which incidentally at the same time also won another $250,000 grant to administer another COVID relief arts-related program from the city. You know, we know who's kind of has the money, who has the resources, who's pushing these ideas, who's not really involving arts community at all in any of these decisions, particularly folks of color, you know, were brought in after the fact. Um, but it's already done by the time we hear about it. So this upset many of the small community groups like the culture centres and the cultural districts who essentially felt that the money should have gone directly into the hands of these communities. We've seen when these RFPs happen and they're very short, they're very fast, they go out, they're large sum of money. We almost feel it's like a guarantee it's going to go to a certain group or a certain type of group. Because the process was so fast, uh, some of them, people like Vinay Patel, who's the executive director of the Asian Pacific Islander Cultural Centre, said he didn't think his organisation and others like his even stood a chance of applying, even could stand up to the competition of a great big player like Yerba Buena Centre for the Arts. We were blown out of the water, one of them by YBCA. How about the process for selecting who actually gets the money? Like, where were the discussions about that? So the city picks Yerba Buena Center for the Arts, YBCA, to essentially be its partner, gives it this $870,000 grant to then turn around, find suitable applicants in the target communities and get the money out, you know, as fast as possible. So Deborah Cullinan, who's the CEO of Yerba Buena Center for the Arts, who, you know, wanted to 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 help artists, um, says that as soon as her organization won the contract, uh, they engaged community groups uh, uh, to do outreach and act as ambassadors in the communities. So the problem with this is that arts leaders, some of whom at least had tried to compete for this grant and had not actually got it, were then in the position where they were sort of being um, asked by YBCA to then go out and do do the work uh, of being ambassadors and finding those artists themselves. And this is also something that T. Kibo Drew talked about. The reality is Yerba Buena doesn't have enough experience with equity and understanding how to do it. They kind of outsource it. So in a sense, they felt quite patronized and, again, not understanding, like, why, why wouldn't you just give the money to us straight away? It's a very, what sort of want to use, half-ass <laughs> way of doing this, which is going to lead to inequitable outcomes. As the process went on, arts and community groups raised more and more issues about the rollout of this program. For example, Chinatown was originally not included on the list of eligible zip codes. There was also the question of whether using a lottery-based system to select artists was fair or not. 
About two weeks after applications opened up, Yerba Buena Center for the Arts and the City of San Francisco decided to hold a public meeting to hear people's concerns. I want to welcome everyone um, to our first um, public info session uh, with the YBCA. Um, this is a really On April the 7th, Yerba Buena Center for the Arts and the Office of Racial Equity um, got together to have a public Center. meeting. Um, number one, it's important that we're bringing arts into equity conversations and equity into arts conversations. Number two, the meeting was uh, hosted by Shakira Simley, who's the director of the Office of Racial Equity. It happened on Zoom, as so many things do. As you're listening, place your questions in the chat so we can capture them and make sure that they're uplifted. The things that we've been talking about today, Devin, a lot of these similar questions around equity, um, around things like zip codes, um, the lottery system, all of those sorts of things came up in the meeting. What structures and staffing does YBCA currently have Why in place? Why is YBCA using a randomization based on a limited number of How codes? will the algorithm ensure equity and diversity in this district? How is YBCA planning to support BIPOC orgs and communities who no longer have access to these funds. So Yerba Buena Center for the Arts, the city's director of cultural affairs and the head of San Francisco's grants for the arts, were all there listening. Just because YBCA is doing it right now doesn't mean that YBCA will continue to do it. So Ralph Remington, who's the city's director of cultural affairs, was also sitting in on this meeting. It depends on what happens down the road and, and how we evaluate it and, and uh, what are the equitable or inequitable outcomes. As was Valley Brown, who is the uh, head of San Francisco's Grants for the Arts. And they both spoke a little at the end about, you know, the importance of the program and, and how they hoped to take the feedback from, from what they were hearing from the community on board as they thought forwards about this project. Did you get a sense of whether artists ultimately felt satisfied by what they heard? They definitely did not feel satisfied by what they heard. Um, they felt like a lot of questions remained unanswered. Questions that were answered were answered in a sort of an oblique way or half answered. And uh, so, you know, they were waiting to hear some more responses. In addition to that meeting, I know you also spoke with your Buena Center's director, Deborah Colonin. What did she have to say in response to some of this criticism? She says she welcomes the criticism. She welcomes the feedback. She wants to have more conversations. She also emphasized that this is very much a pilot. It's very much an experiment. Our hope is that our community can speak directly to us, constructive criticism, welcome. Um, how can we be better? And how can we as a community stay unified? A lot of the people that I understand might have questions are also people that I've worked with. Um, over the years. And so all I'm saying is, I'm, I'm, I think we are, as an organization, and I am very open to and very committed to doing what we can. Even though a lot of people in the community have been pushing back quite aggressively against Yerba Buena Center for the Arts, um, Deborah Cullinan says she plans to go on onwards with it. She wants to expand the program. She is committed to doing more in this area. We applied because it's something that we were already working on and we thought that we could handle it and we could take on the administration of it and we believed that we would do a good job of it and we also believed that we could not only do this but grow it and really help influence policy and that's why we did it. 
I mean, that said, does she think that the process could have gone differently, especially thinking about how the process was introduced and... Yeah, so so you know, Deborah says that you know she she thinks it's important to slow down a little bit more. Things did happen in quite a rush. Given the urgency, it's like this sort of expediency over equity kind of situation. There's yeah. there there's so much urgency in order to try to reach people who are like one minute away from a life changing event. And I think for so many of us, that that urgency, you know, kind of superseded the need for time in order to achieve equity. So today is the the first day that these payments for this pilot project are going out. I know that one of the artists who's going to get money is Diego Gomez, who we spoke about earlier. How much is this income going to help them? Diego Gomez was already living on the edge, should we say, before the pandemic hit. And uh, when I asked them what they planned to do with this $1,000 a month, they basically said, you know, nothing special. I'm not going on vacation. It really is just to cover the basics, you know, food and utilities. I appreciate it. Um, there's still no time for me to rest and be like, I'm going to go on vacation now. No, there is not that. <laughs> but also, you know, Diego hoped that this money was really going to make a big difference to pull them out of what they call the sub-poverty level in San Francisco. But now that seems a little even less sure because Diego, one of the things Diego does is teaches fashion at City College. And right now, of course, City College is struggling and Diego's job is in the balance. So they don't even know if they're going to be able to have that income. So, of course, $1,000 is, is, is helpful no matter what, right? But the lift up that they thought they were going to get perhaps out of this poverty uh, may go on for a little while longer because of this question around the teaching job. Um, it's $1,000 per month. That's less than I make at um, City College. Um, so I'm, I'm not back at square one, but I'm, cer- I'm certainly not, you know, anywhere <laughs> that yeah. like I can count on. If you could all just be housed and fed and, uh, you know, have some sort of Medicare or something for all, uh, that'd be super. (laughs) Many of the artists who are part of this program are probably in the same boat. And in fact, people who didn't get this money you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, they're still living in the most expensive city in the world, or one of them, um, and and trying to make art at a time when you know a lot of their options are very limited right now. You know, they're clinging on a lot of them, um, a lot of them doing several jobs all at once just to make ends meet. Every single person I spoke with thinks that some kind of universal basic income-like program would be extremely helpful in keeping artists in the city. But the question remains, how best to roll that out? How to make it most equitable? How to make it help people in the best possible way so that they can stay here and keep making their art? Chloe, thank you so much for speaking with us. Yeah, you're welcome, Devin. Chloe says YBCA is committed to continuing the program and plans to seek philanthropic dollars to keep it going. The city says it plans to evaluate how the pilot is going as well, especially from an equity standpoint, and figure out what the next steps are going to be from there. Thanks to Chloe Veltman, arts and culture reporter for KQED. 
And today for the credits, I am going to turn it over to Bay listener Alex Fernandez to lead us out. Alex, thanks so much for supporting us during our pledge drive this month. Appreciate it. The Bay is made by Erica Cruz Guevara, Devin Karayama, and Alan Montesilio, with production assistance from Shailen Martos. Isabeth Mendoza writes the weekly newsletter. KQED's leadership team includes Jessica Placek, Kiana Mogadam, Erica Aguilar, Vinny Tong, Ethan Tovin Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. The Bay is made by your local public media station, KQED. I'm Alex Fernandez, and thanks for listening to The Bay. Talk to you next time. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.